0: Christ is risen.
1: He is is risen risen
0: indeed. Ah, That's my family. From my house to your house, happy Easter, Easter 2020, and Easter like no other. The first thing I want to do is congratulate you for remembering that today is Sunday, because I have no idea what day it is. I've woken up for the past two weeks and said to myself, what day is it? I don't know what's going on. Routines are so important, and all of our routines have been somewhat blown out of the water. But... Thank you for joining us uh, for Easter 2020 again. It's an Easter like uh, like no other. Hey, there are some serious stuff going on uh, right now with COVID-19. I want you to know that we are praying for you. Krista and I, my wife and I are praying for you. The staff of Grace is praying for you. Everybody participating in this Easter service, our prayers are, are with you. Serious stuff, but there's some silly stuff that's kind of going on now, too. I remember a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that we needed to stay in our homes all the way up till June. And I gotta be honest with you, one of the first thoughts that came to me is a picture that I see every time I walk into my son's room. It's a picture, it's on your screen right now. A basketball tournament, my son's in the picture with me. I'm there with a couple of my buddies and Magic Johnson. You see Magic Johnson in that picture. You see how big my hair is? So let me tell you a thing about my hair. My hair doesn't grow out, like the sides don't get long. My hair just goes straight up, like an elevator to the moon. It just... And I got to be honest with you, the first thought that came to my mind in the midst of all this is, oh my gosh, by the time we get to June, I'm going to look like the Washington Monument here. I've got so much product in my hair right now just to hold it down. My brother saw me the other day and he says, what are you doing with so much product in here? I'm like, man, (laughs) if I don't have all this in my hair, this is going to go straight up. It's going to look like the Washington Monument. Anyway, so there's serious stuff which we're praying about, but there's some silly stuff. All right, Easter. Easter is an incredible day powerful day. This is the day that changed the world. I mean, literally our world changed. Jesus Christ is the most influential person in the history of the world. He ministered for three years and then he left and his followers, his followers that had run away from him were scared after today, the resurrection, something clicked. They realized something, they fully understood something, they fully received something that they were so radically changed that then from them, small band of followers, they changed the world. You gotta think about this. At the very least, everybody, we can argue about what changed, but everybody says something changed. Something definitely changed. Jesus never wrote a book. He never held a political office. He never commanded an army. He never left this tiny little piece of land basically called Israel, right? How did this happen? It happened because his followers understood something and were so radically changed that the fact that Christ had risen that they changed the world. So today I want to talk about Easter and I want to talk about what was it that was changed in them? Where did it come from? So John chapter 20. That's where John tells us the, uh, the Easter story in John. It's in chapter 20. Just want to remind you as we break into this, we've said it a couple times. John and Genesis, John and Genesis, the first book of the Bible, they both begin the exact same way. John keeps, so if you, he keeps going back to Genesis over. and So if I really want to understand what John is writing about, I have to say, I've got to read it through the lens of Genesis to help me understand. You're going to see that here in a second. So here what it says in uh, John 20, verse number one, early on the first day of the week, there it is. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. What well, does Genesis help me to understand about that when it says early the first day of the week? Okay, Genesis chapter one. What was the first day of creation? Well, we know what the seventh day was, the Sabbath, the day God rested. That's Saturday. So what's the first day of creation? Day number one from Genesis that is sunday. so john is saying right here at the beginning of the easter story he said this is a new day. this is a new creation day, a new beginning day. if you're a golfer, a golfer it's mulligan day. that's why 2 corinthians 5:17 says anybody in Christ is a new creation because this is a second genesis. it's a starting over. you get a new beginning. so we view everything through that, through that lens. all right. now, what happens there? mary runs She tells Peter and John, hey, the tomb's empty. They have a foot race back to the tomb. And actually, and I like this part, John outruns Peter, like he beats him in the foot race. And something about that just puts a big smile on my face. I think that's awesome. They get there, they see, they believe, they go back. And then we're told this in verse number 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, John is doubling down on this new beginning. And then he continues, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, they were locked away in their houses and there was fear. That's 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed. You and I are all locked away in our houses with fear. Nothing's changed in all those years. Now continue. Verse 21, 22. Jesus said, peace be with you. Those are great words. My prayers is this, that you would sense the presence of Christ in your home, with you, saying, peace be with you. A lot of turmoil in us, but peace be with you. And so I just want to add that like a prayer right now. May peace be with you. Continue. As the Father sent me, Jesus speaking, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. There's an identity there. Jesus Christ is the sent one. And now he's saying, I want you to also be sent. Your identity is to be sent, just like I've been sent. And then this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now here again is where Genesis is gonna help us out a lot. He is tripling down on his Genesis theme here. In Genesis one, we're told the Ruach of God, Hebrew word Ruach, the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God was there, hovering over everything, and then creation was born. Everything began, a, a, a brand new creation, right? And then Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, it says God breathes into Adam the breath of life, and he becomes a living being. Now we can understand what is being, because I've read this for so long, I said, what in the world does this mean? Well, John, Genesis, I read it through that lens, this is a new beginning you have a new beginning. There's a new creation. Something is born again here in the disciples that radically changes them. And as a result, this little band of people, little band of followers of Jesus radically changed the entire world. Matter of fact, it says that they turned the world upside down. So what was that? What was born again? So if something's raised, well, what was buried? If something's come alive, what went dead? That's what we have to ask ourselves. So what died? To do this, we need to track all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Now, before I before I tell you the story there, I wanna remind you that Jesus says three very important things. He says, the enemy comes to kill, no, the enemy comes to steal and then kill and then destroy. These three important things. Now, in Genesis chapter three, original sin, the fall of humanity, we see the enemy comes and he steals something. That's in Genesis 3. And then Genesis 4, we see there's someone killed. Cain kills his brother Abel. And then in Genesis, the very next chapter, immediately, Genesis 5 and 6, destruction. So there's a theft, there's a death, and there's destruction. Totally tracking with exactly what Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10. Steal, kill, destroy, okay? What was stolen? This is what we have to figure out. What exactly in Genesis 3 that started this whole process of death and destruction, what was stolen in the beginning? We're created in the image of God. What does that mean? means we're called to be reflectors of God, reflectors of who God is, of God's identity, of God's character, of God's image. We're called to reflect God. We have been creating the image of God. This is very unique about us. And we're told the enemy comes. And here's the important point. What does he steal? Because if we can figure out what he steals, we can figure out what gets born again on Easter Sunday, what comes alive that radically changes. So what does he steal? He says to them, you can be like God. Now they were called to be reflectors. Reflect—that was their identity as reflectors of God. And and actually, God says to them, "I want you to be fruitful and multiply." In other words, go into all the world. And that doesn't just mean have a bunch of kids. They did that, but it means more, deeper. It means to image, to be image bearers of God, to reflect God to the whole world. Jesus says it like this, to be salt and light, to be followers of Christ, is to be salt and light, to take his image and to reflect his identity. Our identity is to reflect his identity to the whole world. And what the devil comes along and does, what the enemy does is he steals that. He says, you're going to have a change of identity here. You're not going to be reflectors. You can be like God. You need to have an identity change. He changes their identity and something dies and it dies immediately in them. And the next thing you see is exactly what Jesus says takes place. There's death and then there's destruction. Our identity is in in Jesus Christ. And that is so important to understand because that's where it begins. We're getting ready uh, to launch. So we're Actually, in a small way, I guess we're launching it today. But next week, we're going to, we're really going to talk a lot about this brand new series we're in, Your Slightly Improved Life your slightly improved life. I've been reading for years and have just immersed myself again recently in so much about behavior, transformation, habits. And experts will tell us this. They pretty much all are saying the same thing. Before you can change your behaviors, so first of all, the behaviors you change need to be small, right? They need to be slight adjustments because the slight adjustments lead to impressive improvements. I know we love to talk about huge leaps of faith. Forget that, forget that. Small, slight, tiny adjustments lead to impressive improvements. That's where it begins. But before you get to the slight adjustment, it has to start with your story and your identity. You have to have a new identity. You have to have a new story. And we're gonna talk a lot about story, but here's where it begins. This is why it's so important. There's nothing more important than who you truly are. And that is stolen from us in Genesis chapter three, and it causes death and destruction. This is what happens in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve are deceived. And that's why John's primary focus and his biography of the life of Jesus Christ is about the identity of Jesus. He wants us to see Jesus like never before so we can experience life like never before. That's what it's all about. Once I know who Jesus is, I will know who I am because I have been called my identity is to be a reflector of him. I need to live in that. I need to receive that. I need to put my faith in my trust and I need to fully embrace that. They understood that deeply. They accepted it fully and it radically changed their lives forevermore. And then it turned around and it changed the world. Now, the Bible speaks of this in many ways. I just wanna give you a few, okay? But it says it over and over again. This is what discipleship is really all about Galatians chapter 3 put on Christ. We're told we should clothe ourselves in Christ. Romans 8:29 be conformed to the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3:18 be transformed into Christ's image. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 great chapters. I'm just going to sum up here, but you take a moment actually sometime after the message day, of course, but you should read it because there's really great stuff in there. I wanna sum it up. This is what it says. It says, don't be blinded to this all-important truth. Our purpose, your purpose is to be a reflector of Jesus. That is the all-important truth. Now, I wanna read you Colossians chapter three, verses eight to 11. This is what it says. But now, rid yourself completely of all these things. And it gives us a big list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene, abusive, filthy, vulgar language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another for you have, check this out, for you have been stripped off of the old self of this evil practices, that's identity. The old identity is gone and you have put on the new spiritual self, a new identity who is being continually renewed and true knowledge. This is why we follow Christ. This is why we fix our eyes on Christ. This is why we study who Christ is because we are following his ways. We're living out his life. That's what it means to have the new identity. Continually renewed in knowledge in the image of him who created the new self, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. Oh my goodness, you know how strong those distinctions were? That was their entire identity. Who I am, Greek or Jew. And now the Bible comes along and says, no, you have a brand new identity. And that identity is in Jesus. It finishes off this way. There's no distinction between nations, but Christ is all and in all. So believers are equal in Christ without distinction. I wanna talk about sin. And I know when you hear me say that word that some of you bristle, some of you recoil, and I want to apologize because some people in a judgmental way and an arrogant and condemning way have used that word and, and, and you, you don't, you don't want to hear it anymore. You don't like it. That is a great word. We need to embrace our sin and we need to understand what it means because it can have deep positive effects on our life. Sin actually dehumanizes us. It reduces us. It takes away from who we really were created to be. That's why in a positive way, we need to understand what sin is. Instead, when Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, he, he is saying to us, I am going to rehumanize you. What does that mean to be rehumanized? It means who we were originally created to be. We can finally become the true human beings that God had originally created us. Now I want to try to put some flesh on this, okay? Cuz I think this is really important. When we follow all those things I read in that list, when we sin, when we do things that don't reflect Christ, when we are not salt and light, we can never have enough of those. We're never satisfied, we're never at peace, we can never 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 have enough. We're never content. Now, let me let me let me explain. Greed I can never have enough money. I can never have whatever I feel greedy about. I can never have enough of that. A a famous millionaire, I can't remember his name, one of the famous millionaires, early 20th century was asked, had so much money, when is enough enough? And he said, when I have just a little bit more because it's never satisfied. Like if I just get here and then I finally get there to that amount of money, and say, oh, I just need some more of it because that's the way it works. Greed, gossip, when I gossip, I like it for a moment. The Bible says sin is great for a short amount of time. It's good, but then it's like, oh no, it's left me empty. So how do I get filled up? I gotta get just a little bit more. Unforgiveness, bitterness, lust. I keep having to go to newer and newer and newer heights of lust. I've gotta keep having those, that, you know, I can never have enough. It's never enough. Why? Because I wasn't created for this originally. It wasn't, it's not the way I was meant to live. Now, contrast that with this. Check this out. You never hear somebody say, who's actually reflecting those things that we clearly know about Jesus Christ. You never hear somebody say about a person like that, well, they're empty or they're getting ready to destroy their life or their life is becoming unraveled. But for case in so this is the Sally, whoever Sally is. You wouldn't look at Sally and say, you know what? I'm so concerned for Sally. I'm just concerned that her life is falling apart. Sally has experienced too much unconditional love. I mean, Sally's life is just bathed in unconditional love and I'm afraid it's going to destroy her. No, you look at Sally and says, my goodness, she, her life is being enhanced immeasurably because she is experiencing unconditional. Love. How about Joe? I'm so worried about Joe. Joe has just allowed all that bitterness to come out of his life, he has extended forgiveness. And I'm afraid that's gonna destroy Joe. No, no, you're thrilled for Joe. You're like, yes, because when you follow the ways of God, it rehumanizes you. It allows you to be the human being you were originally created to be. Doesn't that make sense? This is what Christ is calling us to. And when he was raised from the dead, his disciples looked at him and said, everything you said and everything you did and who you are is true. The resurrection was a confirmation exclamation point saying everything that Jesus Christ said and did and the way he lived is true and we are to be followers of him. We're to be reflectors of his image. And when I am, I am far more of a human being than I ever was before because everything else, all of sin simply reduces me who I truly am. First Peter. Chapter two, verses nine and 10, this is all identity stuff. You're a chosen people, that's identity. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness, a misunderstanding of identity, into his wonderful light. Ready, verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people and now you are God's people. Identity, what God is saying to us, what's written here in first Peter is we have a new identity. In him, and that's the glorious calling all of us have discipleship. We are called to be disciples. We're called to help other people become disciples. What is discipleship about from a first century Jewish perspective? It means that you are following, imitating, reflecting, walking. The first disciples were called the followers of the way, the people of the way. You're called to reflect everything about. That's what Christ has come to do. My community group Bible study is reading an awesome book by a rabbi right now. Rabbi Evan Moffick. It's called what every Christian needs to know about the Jewishness of Jesus. And this is what he says about Rabbi Jesus, as he calls him. He says, Rabbi Jesus helped disciples find their sacred selves. The true you are true selves. This is Easter. They understood something about their identity. They deeply understood it. They fully accepted it. And when they had that new story about themselves, when they discovered it, it radically, deeply changed them. And from that small band, changed the entire world. Now that is completely powerful. If we don't understand the story from a first century Jewish perspective in their culture, in their context, we might twist we will probably twist and reshape it into something that it's not supposed to be culture and context is so important I'm getting ready to tell you something now about culture and contact you might say because I'd never heard it before you might say man I'd never heard that before but listen let me give you a, a couple of quick stories about the importance of culture and context right eye contact looking somebody in the eye In our culture and in our context I'm being disrespectful if I don't look you in the eye but there is Cultures around the world that if you look somebody in the eye, you're being disrespectful. You've got to know what that is. I read the story some time ago about a businessman and he had a big deal in Asia. He's over in Asia. He wants to land this deal. He doesn't want to do anything to offend his host. They take him out to dinner. He wants to be on his best behavior. He wants to do absolutely everything right in our culture. You clean your plate. He heard that his whole life. They put in front of him a bowl, a small bowl of eel soup that he couldn't even stand to hear the word eel. And now a bowl of eel soup is in front of him. And he thought he was going to gag, but he wanted to get this deal. And so he ate it down. He somehow, he fought through it. He got it down every last drop. And the moment it was done and they saw his bowl was empty, they brought a little bit bigger of a bowl in front of him with more eel soup. And so he's eating, eating, gagging, gagging. He's trying his best. He's feeling sick. He's feeling nauseous, but he gets every drop down and then they bring him a third bowl, a little bit larger veal soup. You know why? Because in their culture and in their context, if you completely clean your plate and empty your bowl out, you are questioning their generosity. Actually, he's being offensive. He's making himself sick and he's offending them. We must understand culture and context. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way they viewed the cross and the resurrection is a total love story, total love. The Bible begins... They saw this in their perspective. The book of Genesis the Bible begins with a wedding. The Bible ends in the book of Revelation with a wedding. Jesus's first miracle at a wedding. This is a great and a grand love story. Now, Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns when he was crucified. Do you know who else wore a crown? A groom, a Jewish groom wore a crown on their wedding day. When they saw Jesus with a crown on, Immediately they said, hmm, what is this? Second, second thing, seamless robe. We're told John 19, Jesus had a seamless robe on. You know who else wears a seamless robe? A priest wears a seamless robe. But in addition to that, a Jewish groom on their wedding day wears a seamless robe. Now you got two major things and there's more. I'm just gonna give you three. Here's here's the third piece. We are told in Genesis that God puts Adam to sleep and performs the first surgery, opens up his side and creates his bride. Jesus Christ falls asleep on the cross. He dies. Metaphor and Hebrew scriptures falling asleep, death. Jesus dies on the cross. His side is opened up with a spear and his bride, the church, has created. They would have seen it through their eyes as a love story. Now, if you see the entire story as a love story, now words like sin don't take on these nasty negative, makes you want to pull away, and words like repentance are changed. We view these words in a much different way and very, very helpless. The word repentance, everybody, means to change your mind, to think differently. You have to think differently. Now, you have to think differently about your true identity. Your true identity, the true human you, who you were created to be by Almighty God, is to be a reflector of his image, of his character, of Jesus Christ in this world. And it's the only way that you can feel truly human and you can really feel who you truly, truly, truly are. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Our chief want is someone who inspire us to be What we know we could be deep inside of us, we know there's something that we can truly be. We sense it. God put it in there. There's something more to life. Yes, we know it. We feel it. We want to be inspired. And what Jesus Christ did is he confirmed to them on Easter Sunday that everything he said was true and this is the life that we should live. This is our calling. This is our identity to be reflectors of him. Roger Bannister had tried for quite some time to break the four-minute mile. People said, you can't do it. You can't run a sub four-minute mile. Our human heart won't allow it. Our physical bodies are not created in such a way to allow somebody to break the four-minute mile. And after him and so many others trying, 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 and nobody can do it, finally, on May the 6th, 1954, at Oxford University, Roger Bannister, broke the four minute mile, three minutes, 59.4 seconds. He broke it. And he held that incredible record that people had so long sought after for 46 days, only 46 days, because after 46 days, his rival broke it. And in the next year, 37 other people broke it. And in the next three years, 300 people broke it because once Roger broke it, a whole flood of people come streaming in. Once Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and the disciples see that Christ has been raised and it confirms this is true and he he appears to 500 people and he eats with them and he talks with them and he encourages them, they say, oh my gosh, this is real. This is real. Living the Christ life is truly the way to live. This is how I come alive. This is how I'm born again. This is how I'm resurrected to live for him. I'm gonna fully put my trust to him. I'm gonna live his life. I'm gonna be salt and light and the world is changed as a result of it. Jesus Christ, like Roger Bannister, breaks that and we become followers of him and a whole flood of people come in and our world is rocked and changed. This is why Easter is so powerful. It's the resurrection of our true identities. I asked Krista a number of years ago to marry me. And thank goodness, as I was down there on my knee asking her, she said yes. And we have been married more than 30 years, but I can tell you this. The only way we're gonna have a marriage like we truly wanted to, like God intended us to, to have a marriage that thrives and fully comes alive is we had to repent. We had to repent of our old way of thinking. We had to think differently. I couldn't think of myself as a single man anymore. If I lived that way with that thinking in my head that that's my identity as a single man, sabotage the marriage immediately. Both of us had to repent. I wasn't a single man anymore. I had to think differently. My new identity was as a married man, a married man to Krista, my wonderful, beautiful wife. And that's the only way that I have thrived in marriage is by thinking differently. You and I have to think differently. We have to think differently about life. We have to repent of our old way of thinking and say, you know what? My identity's in Christ. There's a fable about a king, powerful king. And he goes out one day into his city. And he's walking with his royal entourage, the armies behind him, and he's walking down the street, and everybody's seeing the king. And the king looks over, and he sees a poor man on the side of the road. And this poor man had a bowl of rice, pretty much the only thing this poor man had. And the king locks eyes with this poor man. And boy, the poor man got excited. He thought, "Oh my goodness, the king has seen me. The king's the king's walking my way. The king's gonna the king's gonna give me something." And the king walks right up to him, looks him in the eye and he says, do you have something for your king? The poor man is dumbfounded. What are you talking about? What can I give to you? I'm looking for you to give something to me. Well, the poor man doesn't know what else to do. So he reaches into his bowl of rice and he pulls out three little grains of rice and he hands it to the king. And the king says, thank you, walks away. That night, Before the man goes to bed, he looks into that bowl again and the three grains of rice have been returned to him. But now they're pure gold. They're pure gold. And that man says, if only I had given him everything. If only I'd given him everything. I'm asking you to fully give in right now. You know you want to because it's in all of us fully give in to who you truly are. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have your true identity, the true image, resurrected and become a follower of his. Philippians chapter two says something so important to us, everybody. It says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There'll come a day when everybody realizes that My identity was always in Christ. That's what it meant for me to be a human being. I used to read that and I would see it in a way that one day everybody's gonna be forced. I was reading it the wrong way because this is a love story. Now I know better. Everybody will be forced to bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No, 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 no. This is a love story. One day everybody's gonna realize it. This was the life I was intended to live. God came, Jesus came. He died on the cross. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead because this is the life I truly was meant to live. And then we'll think all those wasted years. I could have been living life. I could have been satisfied, not had my life reduced by sin, living a false identity. No, I could have had my identity in Jesus Christ, put my faith and trust in him. Why wait? Why not now? On your screen in the chat is a button and it says, I commit my life to Christ. I wanna encourage you to click that, but wait, before you do, I just wanna say this. When you do, what you are saying is, is Jesus Christ is now my focal point. My eyes are fixed on him. My faith and trust is is him first and foremost. I am living to be a reflector of him. He is my highest aim. I will fix my eyes on Christ and I will reflect him. I will be the salt and light. My whole world is gonna revolve around him because that is how I'm gonna truly live. So I wanna encourage you. Why wait? Why not today? All of us one day. We're going to fully give into it. We might as well start living life right now. There's no reason to wait. Now, I want to pray for you. And I especially want to pray for those who have just clicked that button, who have just come to the realization that your identity is Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Jesus, that nothing would stop you from resurrecting our true identities in you. You would not be stopped even by the horrors of the cross and everything that stood in your way. You came, you were determined that we would be resurrected, that we would know who we really are so we can live and enjoy life and spread your good news to other people. God, would you saturate our minds with the truth of our identities and you, who you are, so we can be who we are. Bless those who are making that transformation right now, death to life. In Christ's name, amen. Everybody, I wanna thank you for joining us today. God bless you. We're praying for you.